today's scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. Again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. If you are using a pew Bible, it's on page 981. Page 981. I believe this is one of the most important passage for us to understand the nature of sanctification, Christian growth, that we exert effort in our growth. But not only that, but we depend on God's work in us. So let us stand and read this important passage together. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity that we have to be able to gather, to be able to sit under the preaching of your word. May your spirit take whatever is preached this morning and to encourage us, exhort us, and to show us how we might be able to apply this text in our lives. For we recognize that when your word goes out, it does not return void, but that it accomplishes that which you purpose. We ask that you would do that this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've ever been to our home, you will know that we, will have, we have a garden. And in this garden, we have different types of fruit plants. We have fig trees. We have an apple tree. We have a peach tree. We even have different vegetables. We use, well, tomatoes isn't technically a vegetable, but we have a tomato plant. We also have beets. So carrots. And we have all these types of plants that produce fruits or vegetables, but we have a certain type of gardening philosophy. This is the philosophy. We plant it, we provide it some fertilizer, and then we just let it go, right? That the plant then has to grow on its own. We don't prune it. We don't even remember to water the plants regularly. We just leave the garden to work itself out. Now, unless you think that all our plants die, they do not. I can tell you from experience that we have enjoyed a peach from our peach tree. We even had some tomatoes and some even carrots from our garden as well. It's just that they didn't fruit quite often. Okay? Now, if I compare our spiritual life or my spiritual life to my family's garden, then the question is, does it operate in the same way? I mean, God plants the gospel within us. He provides some maybe spiritual help in the beginning. And then we're left on our own to work things out on our own. I mean, is that how it works? I mean, what is the relationship between faith and works? Now, when we talk about faith and works, it's easy for believers to fall into two mistakes. There are two wrong ideas that don't quite rightly explain the relationship between faith and works. The first idea that's wrong is this idea of legalism. Legalism believes that we can gain favor 
from God through the things that we do. So imagine a large scoreboard. And for everything that we do that pleases God, it gets us points. We read the Bible every day. Five points. We pray every day. Five points. We share our faith with someone. Ooh, that's ten points. We attend church regularly. Seven points. And all these points added up together moves us closer to God. And of course, if we do something that displeases God, then we lose points. We fail to read the Bible, minus five points. If we fail to pray regularly, minus five points. If we fail to share the gospel with someone, minus ten points. And if we fail to attend church regularly, minus seven points. And legalism says that even though God may help me start my spiritual journey, I have to do things that move me closer to God. Now, so that's one wrong way of thinking about faith and works is this idea of legalism. The other wrong idea is this idea of passivity, where you're just passive, that a believer doesn't do anything until they sense the Holy Spirit moving them to do it. Now, it's not always clear what it's meant by sense. It could be maybe goosebumps when you feel like you need to do something for the Lord. It could be this feeling of excitement. It's not clear what that sense is. You just know, right? And you don't obey God unless you sense the Spirit moving in you. You don't read the Bible because you simply just don't feel God moving you to read the Bible. You don't pray because you don't feel the Holy Spirit compelling you to pray, And you don't share the gospel with someone because you don't feel the Holy Spirit giving you just quite the right words to speak to this person. And you don't attend church because the Holy Spirit isn't giving you that worship groove that morning, right? That you don't feel the Spirit moving in you to do these things. And this, again, misunderstands the relationship between faith and works. Now, we may not fall, we may not fall into these two categories, whether it be legalism or passivity, but we do have tendencies towards one or the other. Now, if we find out really how faith and works work together, then we'll find out that the spiritual life isn't about legalism or passivity. And so then, if it's not about legalism and passivity, then what is the relationship between faith and works How do they work together? Um, How does faith affect what a believer does? How do we understand the actions of a believer? What is the relationship between faith and works? Now, to answer that question, we'll look at the passage that John Shea just read for us in the book of Philippians. And if you just walk into service while he was reading the scripture, please turn to Philippians chapter 2, okay? Philippians chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. And for those of you who have been with us this summer, you'll know that we're going through this series in Philippians. And while Paul was spending his days under house arrest, he wrote this letter to the Philippian church to thank them for their generous support. And Paul not only wants to thank them for their generous support, but also wants to address some issues that he has heard that is occurring within the church. Now, we learned earlier in chapter 2 that the church struggled with serving one another. That's why Paul talks about doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and then turning to the humility of Christ. And that should not only motivate the Philippians to worship God, but also to serve one another. And then it brings us to our current text 
in Philippians chapter 2. Okay, now in these two verses, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, we're going to answer three questions concerning faith and works. The first question is, what do works testify to? What does the behavior of a believer show? What do works reveal or disclose about a person, specifically about a Christian? And then the second question we're going to ask or answer is when should believers produce works? Do they produce works when they initially believe in Christ? Is that where all the works are? Do they produce works as they mature? Do they produce works when they receive their glorified selves? When should believers amongst this timeline produce works? And then the third question we'll answer is, what is the explanation for works in the life of a believer? Who brings forth the works in a believer's life? Is it the believers themselves? Is it God? Is it the blend of the two, God and man? What is the explanation for works in the life of a believer? Okay, so let's turn to the first question. What do works testify to? What do works show? What do works reveal about believers? What do actions demonstrate? Well, works testify to a believer's faith, that a believer's actions show a believer's conversion, that they have placed their faith in Christ. How one behaves reveals what they believe. And a Christian behaves differently than when they were a non-believer to validate, to demonstrate their profession of faith. So works testify to a believer's faith. Now we see this in the text because works reveal the genuineness of the Philippians' faith, that when the Philippians believed the gospel, it changed them. It changed their actions. It changed their priorities, that their works corresponded to a new belief in Christ as Savior and Lord. So let's look at the first half of verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Now, Paul kind of sets up his argument that considering what Christ has done to serve us by dying on the cross, we should obey God. And Paul knows that the Philippians responded to the gospel through obedience. He saw it. He observed it. He was able to be there to experience their obedience. Now, how did the Philippians obey in the past? Well, in the book of Acts, Luke recalls Paul's experience in the city of Philippi, and when Paul preached the gospel to Lydia, the person who sold, this gal who sold purple cloth, she requested to be baptized. Now, she didn't just request for herself to be baptized, she requested for herself as well as her whole household to receive baptism. She heard the gospel, she responded by faith and a desire to be baptized. And then, if you recall, Paul is then thrown into prison, and then there is a supernatural earthquake that opens up all the prison doors, and then Paul has the opportunity to share the gospel with a Philippian jailer. And then this jailer also responds to the gospel with actions. He not only places faith in Christ, but he also receives baptism. And not just the Philippian jailer, but him as well as his whole household that his entire family responded to the gospel by receiving baptism. Now, shortly after this jail break, after Paul leaves the prison, Paul has to leave Philippi because the authorities kick him out. Now, 
The Philippian church, though, would continue to support Paul financially, that they would become Paul's financial partner, and they gave financially to support Paul's ministry. And so this act of obedience also demonstrates that the Philippians believed in the gospel, that they wanted the same message that they heard also to be proclaimed in other parts of the world. And that's why Paul writes this letter to thank them. In fact, earlier in the letter, in chapter 1, he even writes, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, making reference to how the Philippian church supported them. So you already see that this conversion, this faith of the Philippians resulted in action. And Paul had seen in this very short time these signs of obedience that testify to a genuine faith. This is why Paul calls them saints in the initial greeting of the letter, but also beloved here in verse 12. Now, when we look at our lives as Christians, we could probably look back into history and see signs of our conversion. After you heard the gospel, understood it, you placed your faith in Christ. This belief demonstrated that the gospel made sense to you, that the Spirit helped your mind as well as your heart to understand that you're a sinner saved by grace so that you would believe. And that a sign of obedience also is the desire to receive baptism, that after believing in the gospel, you desire to obey Jesus' command by receiving baptism. And baptism shows the world that you have demonstrated that you have placed your faith in Christ in his death and resurrection. And so this action validates your faith as well. Now, there's other things that you might possibly find yourself doing after professing faith in Christ as well. You begin to read the Bible. You begin to pray. You begin to attend church. You desire to know the character of God, his holiness, his goodness, his patience, his justice. And you even ask God to help you to overcome sin that you experience in your life, that you struggle with anxiety or worry. You ask God to give you peace. That when you feel angry, you ask God to help you exercise self-control. That when you first believed in the gospel, it resulted in actions and behaviors that validate your profession of faith. Now, so what does that mean? Because if that's what we did in the beginning, does that mean after we start our journey with Christ and we do all these things, attend church, read the Bible, receive baptism, and then it's, that's it? You know, do we just sit back and relax? Do we sit back in that metaphorical car that is our spiritual life and just sing, Jesus, take the wheel? You know, is that the Christian life that is characterized by explosive growth in the beginning? And they kind of just minimal work right there in the middle, right? And so that brings us then to the second question. When should believers produce works? When should we see works in a believer's life? Believers continue working out their faith. It means that the production of works in the life of a believer does not stop. It does not cease. Christians continue to grow. They strive to be more and more like Christ. That believers continue working out their faith. Now let's turn to the text. Paul encourages the Philippians to continue working out their faith. This is what the message of this particular verse says, that Paul says to the Philippians, you obeyed in the past, don't stop, continue what you're doing, keep up working out your faith. Let's look at the latter half of verse 12. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear 
and trembling. Now, you may be wondering, well, where does Henry get the idea of this continuous working out idea? I mean, where, where is that? Well, if you look at the verb work out, especially in verse 12, it occurs in the present tense. It means that a believer did not finish producing works in the past, and you're done. It doesn't mean that a believer will look forward to producing works in the future. But this present tense of the verb, work out, highlights this continual action. Now, the NIV, the New International Version, brings out this nuance in this verse by saying, continue to work out your salvation. Now, note what Paul does not say. He does not say, work for your salvation. You do not earn a relationship with God. And for those of us who are Christians, we know that trying to earn a relationship with God is an impossibility. We are saved by faith, through grace. So this kills the argument of legalism because if we didn't do anything to earn a relationship with God, then what makes us think that we can actually earn God's favor through the things that we do after we become a Christian? Hence, our works do not result in God liking us more. Now, when Paul writes this idea, working out your salvation, this means allowing salvation to work itself into every single aspect of your life, that your relationship with God affects everything. Relationships, work, thought life, small group, speech, that your faith should permeate into every single element of your faith. Now, imagine in your mind a pitcher of water, clear water. And then you introduce a drop of food coloring. Let's just say blue. You put the drop in. Now, the blue food coloring doesn't immediately work itself through the water initially, but over time, that blue color will work itself through every single inch and ounce of that water, so then it becomes blue. It's the same idea here, that your faith permeates through every single aspect of your life. You work it out. So then this opposes this idea of passivity where you just wait around for the Lord to move you because what Paul is saying here is that you have to work out your faith intentionally, that you have to obey God even when sometimes you may not feel it, okay? That there has to be an obedience. Now, Paul brings up this idea of working out salvation to the Philippians because there are some specific areas where the Philippians have some trouble. First area of trouble is their unwillingness to serve one another, as I already mentioned in Philippians chapter 2. But then there's another issue. There is another issue of disunity, that the church in Philippi, they have some conflict going on. And later on in the book, we'll find out that there's actually conflict between two sisters, Euodia and Syntyche, and they need to resolve their issues. And Paul calls upon a true companion within the church to resolve that particular conflict. Now, if you think that conflict just exists back then in the Philippian church, you're kidding yourself. I mean, conflict exists even here in our church. It's just that sometimes we sweep it under the rug. And if we pull up the metaphorical rug, then we will find it there festering for a long time as well. That conflict existed in the Philippian church, it also exists now. And that's something that we need to work out. How do we resolve those conflicts? And so this is why Paul writes to the Philippians that they need to work out their salvation, that if they work 
out their salvation, that they would learn to serve one another. If they worked out their salvation, they would know how to pursue unity. Now, no one can work out salvation on their own strength. Uh, This prompts Paul to attach to the idea of working out salvation with one phrase, with fear and trembling, in verse 12. With fear and trembling. Now, this phrase is used typically in the Old Testament to describe the response of Israel's enemies. When Israel's enemies saw God deliver Israel, they would have fear and trembling. When the Egyptians saw God send the plagues, they responded with fear and trembling. When the Canaanites saw God help Israel conquer the promised land, they had fear and trembling. So this is something that the enemies of Israel would experience when they saw God save Israel. It has a sense of, we are weakless. We are, we are defenseless. Now, think about the book of Philippians. Paul has just des- described the exalted Jesus in this first half of chapter 2. Jesus, who took the form of a servant by being born in the likeness of man, who died on the cross for our sins. And this leads to his exaltation that there is no name higher than Jesus. And that at his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And if one day everyone and everything bows before Jesus and who he is, then the Philippians, after hearing this, should have a sense of, I'm defenseless, I'm undone, I am weak. And they would have that awe, and that awe should motivate them to work out their salvation. We work out our salvation from a posture of weakness, from humility, because we can't do it on our own strength. And this applies to us as well, that as we continue to work out our faith, we do so in a humble attitude. And we try and figure out how we can follow God and obey God in the present, continuously. Now, sometimes we fall into this mentality, our best days of faithfulness to God are behind us. I remember how zealous I was for God as a college student. I went on short-term mission trips. I led small groups. I read the Bible every day. And now my post-college life is like, oh, it's kind of ho-hum. You know, I just try to sputter along in my spiritual life. Or we look back in our life and say, oh, when I was single, those were the best spiritual days of my life. So much time on my hands. Spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ. Mentor students. Serve in the youth ministry. But now, I'm just too tired. I'm worn out. I have a family now. I can't imagine serving the Lord as I once did. Or some others of you may think, my hair is gray, my bones are spent, my muscles fatigue, my vigor, gone. It's time for another generation to take over. I'll just sit and watch. And others of you may develop this later mentality. Oh, when I go to college, I'll be involved in my fellowship and I'll serve then. Or maybe when I graduate from college, then I'll finally begin giving to the church. Or maybe when my kids go to college, then I'll start helping out at church again. And we think that working out our salvation then is in the future. But these perspectives betray this idea that working out our salvation is only for a season of life, either the past or the future. Paul is saying 
that you are to work out your salvation every season of life, beginning with now, whether you are a youth, whether you are a child, whether you are a college student, young adult, married person, older adult, that we just don't get an excuse to say, God, can I get a pass because of my life situation? I'm too worn out. Because God calls us to serve him and to work out our salvation now. Now, one way of working out our salvation in terms of the way that we grow and the way that we become more like Christ is by serving. Now, I recognize that we have some people in two different camps. We have some people who serve a lot, and I mean a lot, a lot. So much so that they burn out. And so they are the people who see a need and ask, what can I do to give my life entirely to be able to meet that need and to serve the Lord? And they invest so much time in their ministry that they fail to take time to rest and they just sputter out. And so for you, I would say, it's okay. For you, take a rest. Because it is a season where God will raise up new individuals to serve. But don't take a rest forever but there is a season of rest. And for others of you, you need to be able to learn how can we serve brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, it's not just formal positions as a deacon, Sunday school teacher, elder, but there are even simple ways of being able to serve others by caring for them. I'll just give you a simple example. For example, showing up to church on time. Now, you may be thinking, showing up to church on time? Like, how is that useful? It's because our guests and our newcomers come to church early. They are here at 9:10, and they don't see any church member here. But if you are here on time, you have an opportunity to serve them by being able to talk to them, to greet them, to welcome them, and to establish relationship with them. Because for a guest, there is nothing scarier than coming into a 200-member worship service and saying, I do not know anyone here. And then afterwards, everyone clumps together in their groups in the lobby and then goes into the chapel, and I have no idea what to do. There's a simple way for you to be able to serve and to care for people. Be here on time, and not just be here on time, but to look around you. Who is new? Care for them. That is working out your salvation. Because the gospel is changing how you relate to other people. Now, Let's go on and talk about this idea of, so what is the explanation for these works? I mean, is it that we do all the work? God does all the work? You know, God sits back and watches as we do these things. Does he just aid us in conversion and let's do our thing in sanctification? Like, what is the explanation for works in the life of a believer? Well, God works in believers for his good pleasure, that God is the one producing the works within the life of a believer. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who enables us to work out our salvation. And the purpose of God doing this work inside of us is his pleasure, that God works in the believer for his good pleasure. Now, Paul reminds the Philippians of this idea that God empowers, enables them, produce good works, and that it would bring him pleasure. Look at verse 13. I'll read it for us. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now in this verse, Paul begins with this general statement, God works in you. But the question is, how? How does he work in you? And he follows it with these two ways that he does work. The first way is that God changes their will. That once we place our faith in Christ, 
God sends his spirit into us and changes our desires. It changes what we desire to do. That before faith in Christ, we didn't want to hear about sin. We didn't want to hear about how wrong we were. But then after we come to faith in Christ, the spirit changes our desire and we want to know our sins so that we can confess it and be cleansed. But also that by knowing our sin we would see how great God is. That God is changing our desires as well as our mindset, our will. Now, not only does God transform your will, but God also empowers you to obey. This is what he means by to work in verse 13. That God empowers you to produce works that are in line with the Spirit. Now, if any of you have planted a fruit tree, you know that a fruit tree only bears the fruit that it's supposed to bear. An apple tree produces apples. An orange tree produces oranges. An apple tree will never produce oranges. An orange tree will never produce apples. And if sin is in our nature, if we are sinful, then we just produce sinful behavior. Sexual immorality, covetousness, treachery, shame, impurity. So if we are to produce spiritual fruit, we need a change of nature. And when we place our faith in Christ, God places his spirit in us. So when the spirit works within us, he produces spiritual fruit, self-control, patience, love, joy, kindness, goodness, gentleness. That when we obey God, it is God working within us. Now, why does God do this work? What is the purpose of it? Why does he empower us to obey him? It's because it pleases him. And it pleases him because when we produce works in the Spirit, it directs attention to him. If God created the world and sustains it, then he knows the optimal way to have creation run. And creation is optimized when everything in creation worships God. Now, some of you, when you hear this, you may think, wow, that's, that's so vain. V-A-I-N, vain that God is so vain to receive all the credit. But it betrays a fleshly way of thinking. Because as human beings, we don't think anyone should receive any type of credit, or at least that much praise, because we know inside they are flawed individuals. It will eventually come out. We will see their sinfulness. No person on this earth deserves that much praise. Yet, even though we are broken people, why is it that we desire to praise imperfect People. I mean, even think about how people talk about, ooh, the wonderful physique of Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor, right? The perfect embodiment of a human being. I mean, they praise that, or they praise the oratorical skills of wonderful speakers like Winston Churchill. And so if we as broken people praise broken individuals, think about it. If we actually possess the Holy Spirit of God, then he will actually direct us to worship God because God alone is perfect and he deserves the glory and the praise and everything that we do should direct attention to him. So when God works out salvation in us, it points people to God. That resolving conflict highlights the work of Christ in our lives because we believe that because God has reconciled us with him through his son, that we should reconcile with other people because we believe in the gospel. And that we serve other people because 
God sent his son to serve us, and therefore we serve people. We care for people because of what God has done in our own strength. We would rather spend our time doing things that we like rather than spending it time doing what other people like and caring for them. This demonstrates a supernatural power of God working in us. And when people ask, why is it that you reconcile with other people when there's conflict? Why is it that you spend your time serving with other people? You can then say, it is because of God empowering me to do these things. And that ultimately brings God pleasure because he is getting the attention that he deserves. So what is the relationship between faith and works? Well, works testify to believers' faith. So believers then should continue to work out their faith because it is God who works in them to, for his good pleasure. That works testify to what you believe, and believers should continuously work out their salvation, and that the reason that we work out our faith is because it is God working in us for his good pleasure. Now, if our spiritual life resembles a garden, then it requires work for a garden to produce more fruit. Now, a few months ago, my mom came into town to help me and Josephine with our newborn son, Hudson. And seeing the state of our garden, my mom being a green thumb, she decided to put in some work. And let me just give you one example of the work that she put into this garden. So she planted three eggplant trees. This was two months ago. She added some fertilizer, she waters it regularly, she prunes it, inspects it, washes it. And let me just say to you that I've been having eggplant every single week the last month. Stir-fry eggplant, stuff eggplant, eggplant with pork. Like every single week we have eggplant from that plant that is, seems to be every time I go home, there's new eggplant. It is a continuous production of eggplant on that plant because she has been working and tending to that plant, so much so that she's now going to multiply that eggplant this week. And we're going to have more eggplant, right? So this idea is that God wants us to continue working out our salvation so that our spiritual gardens, by the power of the Spirit, will continue to bear fruit, and this fruit will then point others to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ that says that we are sinners but saved through grace by faith. And we ask that your spirit who dwells within us would empower us to do the good works that you have set out before us, whether it be resolving conflict with a brother or sister in Christ or be serving other people, that you would help us work out our salvation so that ultimately it would direct people to you and that you would receive the glory that you deserve. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.